0: as injurious to the rights of other students. In March of 2006, the California Supreme Court voted unanimously that the city of Berkeley could cancel a legal agreement with the Boy Scouts, simply because of the Scouts' opposition to homosexuality. In June of 2007, the Oakland city government found the following words, Marriage is the foundation of the natural family, to be a hate crime. In May of 2008, the California Supreme Court overturned a law defining marriage that was passed by 61% of California voters. Four judges canceled 4.5 million votes and held that traditional marriage is in effect unconstitutional in California. Today, activist judges are legislating from the bench more than ever before. But California voters can fight back. Join millions from across the Golden State and take part in three simulcast rallies in support of Yes on Prop 8. At these rallies will all show support for traditional marriage. Participants will learn the facts about Proposition 8, the amendment to protect marriage in California. All of us need to get involved now. The voters have the last word on this issue, so let your voice be heard today. Post- or plan to attend the Yes on Prop 8 simulcast rally at your local church. For more information, go to protectmarriagesimulcast.com.
1: this rally that's coming up on October
0: 19 We have a crisis of the loss of the whole concept of ethics. We're going to look at the area of philosophy
1: and ethics. We have a crisis of the loss of the whole concept. Of ethics. There are staircases that go nowhere, there are pillars that serve no purposes. Have you been taken
0: captive? How do I know I exist? And if I do exist, why do I exist? If I think I exist, where did that thought come from? What is thinking anyway? What is reason? What is logic? What is knowing? If I know something, how can I know that it is real? And what is the meaning
1: and purpose of life? Now, if you want an impossible task,
0: try to find the answers in there.
1: message is philosophy and ethics this morning, and I must tell you, I had a great time delivering this last night, and um, concerning last night, in almost two years, we've had the start of KidZone back last night, and I'm so excited about that, and Mickey Peterson had about a half, half a dozen kids, and really a great time with KidZone last night, and so I'm so excited about that. There's a lot of wicked spiritual activity happening in Big Bear. The occult, witchcraft, um, different philosophies that come to Big Bear because they believe that it's a warm climate for all the demonic activity that should be going on in their opinion. One of those things coming on is Women of Wisdom, October 24th, 25th, and 26th at the Discovery Center. A conference that's steeped heavily into witchcraft, the occult, and New Age. And I will be out there all, four, all three days blowing my shofar, praying. And if there's any of you that desire to be part of that, let me know. Because I'm tired of the medicine wheels, witchcraft, occult, new age coming to Big Bear and thinking it's a good place to be to propagate their demonic activity. I want them to think ahead of time. We're not going back to Big Bear because nothing works. We're not, we're not coming back to Big Bear because there's no, quote, energies. There's no, quote, uh, supernatural happening. And in the spirit realm, we're going to shut this down, okay? Let's pray. Father God, I pray that this message concerning philosophy and ethics and even the uh, cosmic battle and the worldviews that are propagated against us and the worldview that we need to have God, that you would make it clear to our hearts and minds today. God, you give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of your word. Give us discernment and give us an understanding today of how we should live, think, and act. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a cosmic battle going on. And if you have not seen the Deltecate... Uh, DVD series that we started on the Truth Project in our cell groups. I want you to be sure to get a ho- hold of a bulletin, and on the back, get into the cell groups by which these DVD lessons on Truth Project are going to be given. This week was uh, philosophy and ethics. Last week was what is truth. We're looking for people to be changed and to be changers in our society. And I want to strongly encourage you to do that. In, the, in what is truth, there is a basic system of, in our society that there is one truth found in Jesus Christ and his word. And all other philosophies are lies. And uh, Dr. DelTackle calls this the cosmic battle. But there's a battle of worldviews going on. And first of all, I want to talk about the secular worldviews, which are many. Secular worldviews, worldviews can be based upon a religion, a philosophy that's based upon a religion, such as... Hinduism, Buddhism, even liberal Christianity, or it can be based upon evolution. It can be based upon uh, atheism. It can be based upon, like one of the old ladies in my elderly ladies in my Friday cell, in her 80s said that, mine's based upon my parents and what they told me. So there's a lot of worldviews based upon a lot of backgrounds for people and they develop philosophies based upon those foundations and come up with a picture and a lot of the worldviews have crept into the church not being very biblical but being a combination of of a lot of things. But we're going to define today what is a secular worldview and what is a Christian biblical worldview? And not all Christian view- worldviews are the same. You, you, you might look up for a definition of a biblical worldview, you might come up with a lot of different worldviews or Christian worldview, and you might even come up with a worldview that's not even biblical. How I mean, you know that a lot of Christian teaching out there is not necessarily biblical. A lot of it's liberal. So there's a battle going on. There's a battle raging. And there's a battle raging for your mind, for your heart, for your spirit. I want to turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Colossians 2 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Now, this is the only time that the word philosophy is used in the New Testament. Deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, nothing's changed, human tradition, and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. The word philosophy comes from two Greek words, phileos and sophia. Phileos meaning to love, the love. Sophia meaning wisdom. The love and pursuit of wisdom. The love of investigating truth in nature. A system of thought, intellect, and practice. A scientific quest for to discover all reality and ultimate reality, what we consider truth. The world does not have a solid foundation of truth. As a matter of fact, it's very popular in our day and age for the world to say that there are no absolutes. That's one of the traits of postmodernism, that there are no absolutes. Recently in the news, uh, O.J. Simpson got convicted for some other things. But I want to tell you why he lost, why he won the first trial. Had nothing to do with 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 the facts, had nothing to do with the with truth. Their lawyers understood this premise that our society has no foundation for absolute truth. So in our society based on the philosophy of no absolute truth, you cannot convict somebody Absolutely. That's what they won. They were smarter than the law. They were smarter than our society. They identified in our society that our society has no absolutes. Therefore, they could not get a conviction. Everybody was upset, right? Well, what did the lawyers think? They thought, well, we're going to get him free based on the philosophical views of secular society and they did Webster defined in 1828 dictionary the objects of philosophy are to ascertain facts or truth and causes of things and their and their and their I'm sorry and their phenomena to enlarge our views of God and His works. True religion and true philosophy must ultimately arrive at the same principle. Right now I'm going to give you a little bit of background as to philosophy, because philosophy uh, was really refined in the Greek world. And the Greek uh, thinkers... And it started with the sophists uh, who believed that the study of things with a view of practical insight. And then Plato came along with a profound desire for truth, yet not without relation to educational and political action. Aristotle equated philosophy with a methodical attempt to explain sensory reality. The Epicureans in Acts 17, verse 18, believed a philosophy of detachment. And the Stoics in the same verse suppressed their emotions to achieve right conduct. In about 165 B.C., the Hellenistic Judaism of the day, during the Maccabean Revolt or Maccabean period, the Jews claimed that faith and worship represented true philosophy. This is a great foundation for us because as we get into Philo, who is a contemporary of the Apostle Paul, he developed insights with his philosophical interpretations of the Old Testament based upon the fact that the Bible, the Old Testament, was absolute true. Absolutely true. Paul and later Josephus reaffirmed all their philosophies and teaching. To be founded upon the scripture, and to this day that's what we believe as a biblical premise for the Word of God that that 's where truth comes from. one of the liberal teachings about truth about the Bible today is that the Bible is should be interpreted as relevant for our times and circumstances and should be twisted and and carved in shaped to fit our day and age. In other words, we look at Scripture and we find how it can work for us in our lifestyle today. It's a very popular teaching. But a biblical worldview says that the Bible as truth dictates to us how we should live, act, and think. And from it, as purely as we can understand it, it tells us how to live, it tells us how to think, it tells us how to act. I love one of the scripture the, the questions that Dr. Tacker brought up this week, and I think it's worth repeating and, and repeating often, is, do we really believe that what we believe? Is really real. Do we really believe. That what we believe. Is really real. If we did. We would act differently. Talk differently. Think differently. One of the illustrations I have for that. Is that. Mark Johnson evangelist in Minneapolis. He and I were in Ukraine. We gave an altar call. And there were about 500 Ukrainians at the altar. And we began to pray and pray uh, for them. And I began to speak in tongues over there because I lost my translators. They were gone and doing something else. And Mark was standing with this lady. He related the story la- later because in the confusion and, and all that busyness, it's hard to know what's going on. And a woman that's, uh, was having some type of cancer, some type of life threatening uh, thing happening with her. And she asked Mark to pray for her healing. And Mark, uh, prayed for her comfort, prayed that God would be with her and the doctors, that God would, uh, be, uh, with her and guide the doctor's hands and comfort her. And she stopped him mid prayer and said, I asked you to pray for me for healing. Do you believe in healing? And Mark was, took a wood out of his sails and says, I was confronted that moment do I really believe what I believe is really real he said he changed his prayer he said God in the name of Jesus uh, I pray for her total healing I pray that she doesn't have to see the doctors he prayed a prayer of faith and stood upon the word having a biblical worldview on that leaving the result now we don't know what happened but we know that we have to Believe and pray and act and talk like we believe it's really real. Right? If we don't, then something else is guiding our philosophical insight. Do we really believe that what we believe is really real? A lot of times we don't. And that's the quickest way to healing by admitting that, yeah. listen, I don't. My life says I don't. My life, my action says I don't. My faith says I don't. And because we admit that we're blind, wretched, wretched naked, poor, and pitiful, then we might come to some seeing, understanding, healing, faith, and progress. But if you had got it all if you got it all together. Okay. No problem. I'm totally disrailed by humor, so Uh. Okay. I want to turn us to romans chapter one verse twenty one through thirty two for a two part on a secular worldview as your attorney, can you imagine if you are in the days of Jesus in the first century and your and your new worldview is that you're following a man who was crucified. First of all, it'd be like he was lethally injected in our day, and now we're saying he raised from the dead. Okay, and then when we to get together, we eat his flesh and drink his blood. What what kind of worldview is that? I mean, that's kind of weird to the, really weird to the Romans, right? Who believe that their worldview is an idealistic. Society based upon the city of Rome. It's an ideal. It's a hope. It's a dream. Of a society that has no armies within the city of Rome per se. And every Roman citizen has certain rules and laws. And and a worldview is based upon who they belong to. The city of the Rome. The nation of Rome. And now Christians belong to somebody who's been crucified and supposedly raised from the dead and we eat his flesh and drink his blood. How weird is that? What drew people in from a worldly view, the Roman view that even looked better than the Christian view, to the reality of Christ and his resurrection and the communion and all these saints? It had to be the power of Jesus Christ working in people's lives. What do you think Jesus' main philosophy was? The two commandments. Love your neighbor, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, your strength. All the power that's within you. How are you doing on that one? I'm not doing very good with that one. Loving God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength. Matter of fact, I don't know of a person who can say, you can stop shaking your head right now, that yeah, I do that. I love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my being. And, and, You can discount the next one also. You're not achieving this one either. I love my neighbor as myself. (laughs) I don't know, buddy, but I don't think I treat you as good as I treat me. (laughs) But these are what we should be desirous to do. Love God with all our heart, with all our life. Surrender. Surrender. Give Him everything. And love each one. Laying down our life for our brothers and sisters in Christ and loving. Don't think you're doing those commandments. But God, Jesus has given that ultimate philosophy to us that on these two commandments hinge all the prophets and the laws and make these two things your goal. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, all your power. And love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you think you're already doing that, there's no room for improvement. If you already think you're doing that, there's no reason to love God anymore because you already are. If you already think you're loving your brother and sister adequately, then there's no more room for growth because you already are. And I don't think we are. And lay down my life for myself. Might be hard, but I can do it. Lay down my life for you. I got to come more into the image and likeness of Christ. Amen. With me? Everybody still with me? Now you can shake your heads. Yeah. <laughs> Romans chapter one. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but in their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for the, of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds, animals and reptiles. You know, I know in Paul's day, and even goes back to Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and the prophets, speaks of idolatry. You know, creating idols to look like people and animals and things. But the very principles of idolatry is what evolution has done in our society and in our country. Evolution says, and Darwinism says that we have a system... And a philosophy now that doesn't require God. Even though scientists all over the world really know that that Darwinism and evolution come up short. They don't make biological sense. They don't make sense on many levels. They're not proven. But to accept the alternative, which is an intelligent design, means you have to accept a creator. And we cannot allow ourselves to do that because then we'd have to d- d- develop a different philosophical view. Evolution is not popular among scientists because it's a an intelligent way to see science. It's because they have in their mind No alternative. But intelligent creation, intelligent creator, we know as God Almighty, is the the only answer for creation. Therefore, God gave them over to, in the sinful desires of their hearts. You know, if if you're part of the evolutionary design, you're a person a dog a cat a rat a fly i mean you're just part of the creation of things a parrot you know what's more in the evolution of things you know you know better than a donkey or a dog or a horse but if a horse is more valuable in making money in racing they might be more valuable than you because you can't produce as much. Evolutionary evolutionary philosophies that dictate to us how we view people and things. So God gave them over to sinful desires. To sexual immorality, impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things. Rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Now, before I read this next part of this verse, if I was in Canada, the very reading of this verse would constitute a hate crime. I could be turned in, and rested before the service was over or by the time the day is done. I could be fined or go to jail. And I'm telling you, the same thing is coming to, to California if Proposition 8 doesn't pass. Eventually, I'm going to read this scripture in Romans chapter 1 and risk a fine or jail. And guess what? I'm not going to pay any fine I am going to go to jail, and I hope you visit me. Because this is what it says. Even their women exchanged natural relations relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned their natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their perversion. I'm not afraid to say it. Some of those things are AIDS. Some of those things are uh, sexually transmitted diseases. Some of those things are, are different diseases that are a result of this type of activity. You know, AIDS is the only disease that has civil rights. There's going to come a time when you can't talk about these things without the threat of going away. But we live in a society where truth is not the foundation of life. We need to get back to a biblical understanding of truth. Let me continue here. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. We're going to define ethics a little bit later as ethics is what ought to be done. Morals is... A consensus of society as to the standard of what's normal and what should be observed. You can see on the, uh, the, how this has been on the beaches of California <laughs> over the last hundred years. Okay. What is considered normal and acceptable today would not be so in the 40s or 50s. And what was acceptable in the 40s and 50s would not be acceptable in the, in the 20s and 30s and teens. But since everybody is living that way and, and being that way, that's the extended, that's the standard moral and standard acceptance. And when you go to the beach, that's the, it's not immoral in, in society. It's the standard of morality that society has dictated. But that's not where we come from. We come from a biblical. Morality. Biblical ethics. Biblical philosophy. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. Now the word depravity means that you can't tell the difference. You fail the test. You can't tell right from wrong, good from evil. You just can't tell. That's what the word depravity means. Depravity is, some, is like... A, Newsweek or Time that prints the 100 most influential people in, in the 20th century. And Hitler is way above Billy Graham because depravity thinking. There's no difference between these people as characters. We're only concerned concern with their influence. Times we live in. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent. You know, uh, the Lord's shown me over the last year, and I believe it's prophetic, that on this side, there's been a, a black, dark area. And it's darkness. On this side, there's been a light and brightness and Christian and solidness. On this side, but in the middle, there's been a huge gray area. But the times are coming when the darkness will grow darker and encroach onto this gray area, forcing the light to grow brighter and encroach in the gray area, and the gray area is going to shrink. And many people will be forced into either getting in the in the Lord in the kingdom and in the light or getting out and getting in the darkness because there's no gray area going to be anymore in our society. Either going to be in or out. I think some of us, maybe some of you, are living in the gray area now. Entertaining the light. Not sure about the darkness. Have one foot in the light, because you're here. One foot in the world, because you're there. And trying to work out the gray area. Your time is short. It's not going to be any gray area for you. You're going to have to decide who you're going to serve. You're going to have, the pressure is going to be on to be a Christian. You might be persecuted by those in the darkness. But, and those in the darkness are going to put the pressure on to either be dark or be light. Because you know what? They don't like the gray any more than we do. The dark side does not like the gray. We do not like the gray. Because there's compromise and depravity and all sorts of things. In those, But each side is going to claim people to where there's a decision. That's what the Lord has shown me over the last year, maybe more. Insolent, arrogant, boastful, they invent ways of doing evil, they disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those, these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Isn't that what's happening in our society with our young people? They get a lifestyle, and they're getting approval for that lifestyle. They're taking, uh, uh, it, you know, pharmaceutical drugs, even count, stuff off the counter, Nyquil and different things. Uh, putting together, forget the illegal drugs; they're going to the drugstores and getting all sorts of things, and finding approval among their people. Challenge is that parents, are you putting a what kind of worldview are you putting in your kids? Are we putting in our kids? Continue the secular worldview, turn to Second Timothy. Chapter Two. Now, I hope that all of you see the, the the lesson on philosophy and ethics in the cells this week. Please do that. It's my intention that this message be a bookend to dr dr. Dell's message in the in the cell. Well, please do that. It's going to be so important but uh, Chapter Two of Second Timothy. Verse 23, do not, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel instead. He must be kind to everyone able to teach and not resentful. Remember the attributes of Christ. Remember when you're talking to somebody who has a different philosophy, different worldview. And right now, uh, the, their their worldviews de- dictating their politics. Right now, they're, you know, you look even for you. Your worldview is going to dictate how you vote in your politics. But be kind, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose it must be must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance. Leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. The captivity starts in the hollow and deceptive philosophies, which many of us have, have embraced. You know, we, we have embraced a lot of materialism we have embraced a lot of thinking about how to live life and deal with life based upon a philosophy that's not necessarily biblically centered it says but mark this chapter 3 verse 1 there will be terrible times in the last days Okay, what does that tell me things are not going to get better Well, what about you? Are you going to get better as a Christian, stronger as a Christian, or are things not going to get better for you? And I'm not talking about following Jesus for the miracles, the loaves, and the fishes. I'm talking about a relationship with Him so that whatever storm you go through, Jesus walking on the water comes onto your boat and takes you to shore. You know, we have a choice to be with the crowd or to be with where Christ wants us to be. I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. You know, I think it's more spectacular to see Jesus walking on the water and coming towards me than feeding the 5,000. I just think it's more spectacular. I think it's, it's more glorious and wonderful to see uh, a transfigured Christ walking on this water, illuminated by His presence and power people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, oops, oops, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love. Now he just got through saying that they are lovers of themselves and lovers of money, but they will really be without the true love that comes from the commands of Jesus. The two great commands love him with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. They'll be without that. Unforgiving, slanderous, without self control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's America. That's Big Bear. Having a form of godliness, looking like a good Christian, but denying its power, duplistic life, have nothing to do with them. Okay, now I want to turn to explain to you more fully what a biblical worldview is. I think you got a clear picture of a secular worldview, right? Biblical worldview starts with what you believe about the truth, where it comes from believing that there's absolute moral truth and that it exists in the Bible. Absolute. Meaning that's the that's the foundation. That's the that's absolute means absolute. That's it. For truth, and it's and it's not to get. It will not give away. It will not go away. It will not alter. It will not diminish. It will not increase. It is what it is, and it's absolute. And we believe from Genesis one through Revelation twenty-two that that truth abides in the written pages of the Word of God. How I think and how I act and how I talk and how I believe and how even I will live or die must be founded on the absolute core truth of this word. We believe that Jesus lived a perfect sinless life. Well, I can't say that all of us do because, according to the to the surveys, 63% of this room does. 63% of born again Christians say that Jesus lived a sinless life. That means, what is it? 37% say that Jesus sinned. They do not have a biblical worldview. Maybe you maybe you're not even in agreement with me today that the Bible is the foundation for absolute truth. You have nothing to stand on. You could say everything else is right, but your foundation for for living is flawed. God is the. All-powerful and all-knowing created the universe and He still rules it today. You believe that? It's a biblical worldview. But 10% among us do not in America. Biblical worldview. Salvation is a gift from God and cannot be earned. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? You believe you can save yourself? You believe you're saved? You know, I hear this in baptisms a lot that the waters of baptism cleanse me from my sin. No, it didn't. The blood of Jesus cleansed you from your sin. Baptism was to affirm the fact that the cross was the place where your sin was covered by the blood of Jesus. Satan is real. Biblical worldview. We believe that. But only 42% of Christians, only 42% of born again, sanctified, justified Christians who claim a biblical worldview, only 42% say that Satan exists. What's that tell you? That Satan has done a great job. 58% of born again Christians say that he doesn't exist. Well, Satan has done a wonderful job putting the church to sleep. We believe in Jesus. Well, Satan's just a myth. And I got a bad day. Why? Because I made it myself. All the adversity coming my way. Oh, it's John's fault, Job's fault. Dan's fault, whatever. And then all the circumstances around my job. Yeah, just ignore the enemy. That's what 42%. No. 58% are doing of Christians who say Satan doesn't exist. I say Satan, that is real. It's part of my biblical worldview. And I'm saying that I've got to believe that he's really real and act upon it according to spiritual warfare and begin to take my stand against the strong man and bind his enemies. I believe that demons are real. I believe angels are real. And I've got to start acting and believing and thinking like I know that they are. Rather than saying, oh, no, you, know, you know, superstition with Satan and all this stuff. He's just a figment of my imagination. No. Biblical worldview says he's real. A C- Biblical worldview. A Christian has a responsibility to share their faith in Christ with other people. Yet only 3% of Christians will ever win somebody else to Jesus. Biblical worldview. The Bible is accurate in all that it teaches; is accurate, infallible, inerrant, trustworthy, reliant. And yet we find that um, many the many Christians and even many people out in the world say, "Well, you can't prove that that Bible is accurate." Well. We have 25,000 manuscripts, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, to substantiate the validity of the Scripture as totally accurate, where Plato has eight, a thousand years after he existed. And the world says Plato definitely is real, but we don't know if Jesus is real. You know, we... You know why they say that? Because in their fundamental worldview, there is no room for Jesus. We've got to protect the church because, in your fundamental worldview, is it biblical or do you have cracks in your foundation? We've got to ask ourselves that. It will dictate how we live and how we act. Oh, I'm having so much fun here, time's gone by. We'll talk about biblical ethics for a few minutes. Biblical ethics is a system of living righteously, doing what is good, and reframing from what is evil in accordance with the Word of God. The term refers not to human theories or opinions about what is right and wrong, but to God's revealed truth about these matters. God's going to tell us What's right and wrong? Because, excuse me, because His teaching and understanding guidelines for us is revealed to us in the scripture is based upon His character and nature. So God will not give us anything in a direction that's contradictory to His nature. In other words, God is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. Therefore, God's not going to say, If you lie a little bit, it's going to be all right. If you take what you need and steal, you know, it's going to be all covered. He's not going to say those type of things because they're contrary to his character and nature. What I say is the fundamental ethic and philosophy of Jesus to love God with our heart, mind, soul, strength, with all that's within us. And to love our neighbor as ourself. we got to love God more. Does your, is, Are you growing in this? I'll say it that way. Are you growing in this? Are you developing a more love for Jesus? Does your life reflect that? Does your prayers, your attitude, your heart, your time in the Word, the things that you say reflect that? How about loving one another? Laying down our life for one another. Whatever our brother and sister needs. And a lot of times we say, yeah, if you, if, whatever you need. If you need anything, give me a call. Well, some of us are hoping that they don't call us at a ridiculous hour. For anything and everything that they might need. And James says that it's sin if we have it within the power to do it and we don't. If we don't have the power to do it, that's a different thing. But if we do it, it's within our ability and we say, don't answer that phone. That might be Pastor Mike calling. Now, our personal ethics, but before that, concerning ethics, Chuck Colson said this, the church's singular failure in recent decades has been the failure to see Christianity as a full life system or worldview that governs every area of our existence. Personal ethics is based upon a personal worldview, which is, uh, which is a set of individual truths, cl- truth claims that you have uh, embraced and so deeply believe that you have no other way to act and talk but based upon your worldview, that's what you will do. My worldview makes it impossible for me to go out there and rob a bank today. Because it's the biblical worldview. If I truly believe that, if I really truly believe that what is real, what I believe is really real, and it's consumed me and I, I believe that, then my philosophy of doing some of those things will not, will be out of the question. And what happens then? My life is transformed. I become more Sin free because my very foundation is so more, so much more solid. I tell you one of the ways to overcome sin is not to concentrate on the sin it's like going through a telescope you go you look at sin through the big down to the 'm I, I telescope you look through the swirl in and to the big end, and the more you concentrate on sin, guess what the bigger sin gets. But don't put sin in the lens, put Jesus in the lens. Because the more you focus and get focus on Jesus, the bigger Jesus gets, the smaller the sin gets. Overcome sin? Yeah. We need to do that. How do we do that? By focusing on Jesus and minimizing sin, not maximizing sin and minimizing Jesus. What's the solution to this? Well, Romans 12, one and two and Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18, talks about transformation, and the metamorpho is only used three times in these two places, and about the transfiguration of Christ. But I want to, talk, I want to go to Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18. Sorry, I confused you here. Second Corinthians 3:18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being metamorphosed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's, that should be your only quest. That should be your only desire to be transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. To think like Jesus, act like Jesus, to talk like Jesus, to be like Jesus in this world. So that when people think, think of you, they think of somebody who is Christ-like. A Christian, a person who is Christ-like, belongs to Jesus Christ. And be do not conform any longer to this world, Romans twelve one and 2, but be transformed, renewed in your mind. Here's what's happening to a lot of Christians. They don't understand basic anthropology which says that the makeup of, of man, we have a spirit, a soul, and a body. Our spirit man... Is inhabited by Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, and will stand before God. Uh, and we are saved in our spirit, but our mind, our is our mind, will and emotions, our soul, mind, will and emotions, and personality. That's a neutral zone. That's where the battle occurs. Our body is a, a neutral zone where the where, where the battle occurs, and. In Romans 7 says the mind is the battle between the spirit and the flesh and the devil. And I tell you Christians, if you give your mind over to the things of the devil, you're going to have demonic problems in your mind. And you're going to suffer from demonic activity coming against your mind when your spirit is crying out for you to repent and to get right with God so that the spirit can get into your mind and transform your mind. And bring you to some wholeness and peace. You know, I, I could tell you that a lot of Christians walking through the door as if they have some demonic uh, strongholds in their mind. And I believe it. Repentance from those things. Changing and transforming into the image and likeness of Christ. And getting deliverance. Getting set free. And letting God transform you. And listening to your spirit who is in bondage and crying out for release. So if you repent, he'll be released in you. Stand with me.